Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome to another week. Thank you. Of real personal finance. Best part of the week. It's my favorite part of the week. What do we got today? So today, we are going to have a listener question. Thank you for your listener questions. Please keep sending them in. And also, thank you for your reviews when you leave them. If you've ever gotten any value out of this podcast, please take a moment to leave a review wherever you listen so that we can help other people. And actually, just want to give a shout out to Amanda, a bunch of numbers, <laughs> left a thank you review for us recently. Simple and unbiased personal finance info. Beyond thankful for taking such a complex world and making it easier and less stressful. While I love your goal to end the podcast, please keep going. <laughs> well, I have <laughs> Thanks, a feeling Amanda. we'll get to keep going for a while to have all Americans financially literate, but we appreciate you listening. And please, yes, if you have a question, write in. And if this has been helpful to you, please share it with loved ones, friends. We just want to help give that unbiased advice so that you all can make better choices in your financial life. Yeah. Also, you can leave reviews on Spotify now. Oh, awesome. Ish. Yeah. Last couple months. You can't yeah, leave reviews, like, but you can give stars. Perfect. So give some stars on Spotify. That's where you listen. Yeah. And for today, William, thank you for writing in. William has a question. Hi, gentlemen. Just discovered your podcast and love it. Thank you. I'm 55 years old and currently employed with about $1.1 million in a 401k, $150,000 in an annuity fund. Upon retiring, I will also have a pension with medical, dental, and optical coverage. Awesome. My yearly income is about $120,000. I'm looking to retire at age 60. In your opinions, does retiring comfortably in five years look reasonable? It's a good question. Yeah, I think so. But let's explore why. Yeah. Uh, more because, as we always do, William, thank you for your question. We want to address your situation specifically, but do it in a way that Anyone listening, whether they're 55, 65, or 25, could get a sense of how to approach this type of a question. Absolutely. And then also, like, obviously, we don't have all of William's info. So we can give a framework to how to think this through, but we can't definitively say whether or not he's going to be okay. Although, you know, we can get a general sense. Yeah. Well, it's a scary question, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. Is I want to retire. Mm -hmm. And when I retire, my income goes away. And yep. I've been saved my whole life. And now I have to come to this point where I'm spending what I've saved. And that can be very daunting. And as you look at it, that's okay for William. His yearly income is 120000 mm -hmm. He has $1.1 in a 401k plus some funds and an annuity. Where should he start from? As you're looking at this, what's the first thing you might look at to see? Are you close or are you on track for this? Yeah. Well, the first place that I would think to look is well, let's start with where most people would look, at least how I think a lot of people walk in and maybe even the way this question's cued, it kind of looks. It's like, hey, I have this money, 1.1 million, 150 grand. Am I okay? Yeah. And I'm going to give two answers. One is, let's just assume that William's 1.1 million, 
He's 55. I'm going to make the assumption he can save the max amount, 26 grand a year. I'm not even going to worry about an employer match. I'm going to give it a decent rate of return, let's say 7%. This is all just trying to be reasonable, broad brushstrokes. When he turns 60, his portfolio should be worth around 1.4 million. Mm-hmm. A reasonable rate of return, we could have lots of ways that we have done episodes on this, but let's just use the heuristic rule of thumb of 4%. Great. He could take 56 grand a year from that portfolio. And where do you get 56 grand from? I'm just taking 1.4 million and multiplying it times 4%. Mm-hmm. Withdrawing 4%, we should be able to do that for 30 to 100 years with a reasonable asset allocation and it should work. And we've done a lot of episodes in the yeah. past on what's a reasonable asset allocation and all those things. Yeah, so you look at that and I think as you're saying, most people look at it and say, well, that's not gonna cut it. Right, that's I'm, not gonna cut it I at all. generate 56 grand from this portfolio, but my income today is 120 grand. Does that mean I need to double how much of my is in my portfolio to do this? Is yeah, that how most people look at it because on paper that's what it looks like. Right. So two things about that. One, that's like a maybe that's a reasonable way to know roughly what could we get from the portfolio. You could even do that right now. One point one million times point four, it'd be like forty four grand, right? Yeah. Just to get there. But the thing we need to know is, well, how much does William need to live a month of life, a year of life? How yeah. much do we actually need to live first? Yeah. Right, Not focusing on taxes necessarily on the front end, but just after tax income, what do you roughly need to live life? That's the first thing I would want to know. I agree because I think a lot of people start with, well, what is William making today? Or maybe William's thinking or other people in his position are thinking, what am I making today? Oh, well, it's 120000 I need to replace that. But not really. As you're mentioning, maybe he's maxing out his 401k at twenty-seven grand. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's got some other deductions coming into here. Maybe he's saving to a I don't know, an HSA or paying for something else like that. When he retires, he doesn't need that full 120000 It's really how much of that once taxes are taken out, once deductions are taken out, what are you actually living on? Exactly. That's what you want to use, at least as a starting point. Exactly. Or how much you're going to live on in retirement. Yep. So that's where I'd want to start first. Then I'd want to look at what other expenses are going to come up when I shift to retirement, right? right. Some things may go down in cost. I might commute less. Mm-hmm. Although with COVID, we're all commuting less. But other things might increase. I might dive into travel more right away, right? There right. might be projects that I've been putting off for years that I want to go do. I probably want to put some number to that, put it into my budget for like, you know, actually, I'm not a big fan of budgets, but put it into my cash flow. Like, what do I want to be putting money toward and things that matter to me when I'm jumping into retirement? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people, it is, it's that travel piece, it's potentially some home maintenance if mm-hmm. they want to do something that, that can get very expensive. And then it's insurances. Thankfully for William, so if he's retiring at 60, he has five years until Medicare kicks in. Right. Which means he needs to find some way to fund health insurance, which if you're paying for it on your own, it can be pretty expensive. Yes. Now, he says that upon retiring, he will have medical, dental, and optical coverage. I don't know if that means it's fully 100% paid for or if he just has coverage and he's responsible for a lower amount. But that's something you need to factor in, at least for that time period between retirement and 65. Yep. That could be an extra cost as well. Yep. Fully agree. These would be the questions we want to know. What's going to be covered for you? What's out of pocket for you? What's covered for you? Mm Because one, if it's out of pocket for you, it needs to be built into your cash flow relative to what you're paying now on your own. Because you're paying something now as well. If you go check your pay stub every month, you're just not feeling it because it's not hitting your bank account. You're not paying it out of your bank account, right? Mm-hmm. The moment that you retire, if you thought you needed, and this is I'm just I'm just I'm putting a 
point on this just a little bit because I think people get lost in healthcare costs. But if right now you're making 120 grand a year and I'm just going to make up some number, you get paid semi-monthly and something like five grand a month hits your, or five grand a paycheck. I don't know. I'm just making a number up. Hits your paycheck. four grand a paycheck. Let's, okay, let's call it four. Let's call it four grand a paycheck. But let's say that you're paying 250 bucks per pay period to your healthcare costs. Mm-hmm. And let's, maybe you get paid twice a month. Well, that's really... 500 bucks a month or six grand a year that you're paying in healthcare costs right now, you're just not noticing it in your bank account. Does that right. make sense? Yep. So you need to be mindful of that and make sure it gets added into your costs when you're going to go retire. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the point of all of this is how can you get a sense of what that accurate expense number is going to be when you retire? Yeah. It's not the gross income that you're making today. It's really what income do you need to live on at that point? Yep. So- Take out the 401k contributions, take out some stuff that will go away, add in some stuff that will be included now that maybe you're not fully doing today, like that travel, those insurances or whatever it is. Yep. And that's a a good starting point because that's the amount that you need to actually live on. Let's assume for William, it's $80,000. And William, I'm just going to, it's an arbitrary number, but let's assume that 120 grand is a gross, back out some stuff that won't be there in retirement. 80 grand is what he needs to live on in this example. The next thing you want to look at isn't going right to, oh my gosh, okay, does my portfolio now need to support $80,000? No. It's, well, what other income sources, what non-portfolio income sources will you also have Yes, that will take care of part of that? Yes. And the places that we could go look at would be, obviously, William mentions, I have a pension that I can potentially turn on. That would be one. Great. He also mentions he has an annuity and whether or not, you know, he may want to look at the annuity and the quality of the annuity and does he want... and. With annuities, what you care about if you're going to annuitize, which means you basically turn it into a cash flow stream, is you want to know what the financial strength of the company that you're going to be annuitizing with to make sure that they can actually pay you over the lifetime of that fund. Mm -hmm. So we'd want to look at those things to turn those on. I would also just want to understand, because it can come down to when you choose to retire, I don't know if 60 is a specific number for William or if it's just a goalpost, but- I'd want to know what's the benefit of extending each year, whether it comes to pension and annuitization, or what if I do it sooner? And maybe I also choose to, you know, maybe William loves the work he does and he can do that work as a consultant and he can go work part-time as well. Mm -hmm. There's so many options. It's about finding the right option for him. Right. Right. And so there are going to be multiple options with that pension in most cases, depending on when you take it. There's probably options with that annuity and whether you're going to annuitize that, like you're saying, Scott, or whether you're treating that as more of a like a liquid asset that you draw down from. We don't know what type of annuity it is, so can't fully say. Mm -hmm. But, and this is going to be a tricky thing, is if he's 60 years old, he's not fully eligible for Social Security yet. Right. His pension could potentially kick in at, say, 65, or if he right. that option. Right. So let's fast forward to when he's 65, and we'll come back for a second. But let's say he's 65, and I'm just going to assume he collects Social Security then and his annuity then. Well, at that point, who knows what that total amount is, but say it's 40 grand. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if $80,000 is what he needs to live on, mm-hmm. and 40000 is coming from his pension and Social Security, mm-hmm. It's really just 40000 that mm-hmm. needs to come from his portfolio. Right. Which now, as you think about it, that's a whole lot easier than trying to replace the whole gross income today with your portfolio. Right. And using those standard withdrawal rules you talked about, mm-hmm. he has one point something million at that point. Mm-hmm. 4%, which is kind of a conservative way of estimating what your portfolio can support. Mm-hmm. He's there. 
Yeah, he's at like 56 grand plus another 40. He's at like 96 when he needs 80. And then you factor in taxes. Taxes should be relatively minor because you have at least a decent standard deduction. We don't know, if again, if William's single, married, single filing jointly, but with standard deductions and the way that cash flow would be working, taxes shouldn't be a huge hurdle. So it should all work in that instance. Yeah, I think the thing that I see he might really need to be kind of have a strategy for is what do you do in those gap years? So if you retire yeah. at 60, social security hasn't kicked in. We don't know when his pension is going to kick in. We don't know if his annuity turns into another kind of pension type income mm-hmm. or if it's something he draws from, but it's probably going to be something where it's not like a standard take 4% or 3% or 5% as much as take a lot more in those first two years to bridge that gap until social security kicks in. Yeah. And then take a lesser amount from your portfolio. hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's where like, you know, it's interesting. You know, we talk about retirement. Someone was saying it to me earlier today. I forget where it was from, or maybe I just heard it, but he's essentially talking about the fact that when you hear retiring, it's almost you think you're retiring from something. It's kind of the framework I think a lot of us think about. And I think the way that we talk about planning on the show, we like to talk a lot about everyone has their own time, money, energy, and talent. And so I just want to know for William, what do you want to be stepping into in retirement? And, you know, just because you went from working full time in a role, if you really love that role, there's no reason why you can't continue doing it, right? So it's just a matter of finding what's the optimal solution for you, for your time, your money, your energy, and your talent once you get to a point where you are technically financially free, but then utilizing whatever you want to craft the best solution for you. And to your point, Mm -hmm. like you could be doing a lot of things here, like if you're creating enough income to support yourself and you don't necessarily need the income from the IRAs and you have a lot of longevity in your life, you could be doing Roth conversions in these gap years. We haven't really done an episode on that, but the idea there is that when you turn 72, the government's going to force you to start taking money out of your IRA account. And before then, and especially before you start, if you want to max out social security and wait until you're 70, you're going to have all these years where you have other buckets of money you could potentially pull from. So I actually think it kind of cues in the idea of where should he save right? as well as, you know, what optimally should he be doing in those gap years is going to be largely dependent upon the life he wants to create for himself in this next chapter. Yeah. I think there's a huge focus on getting retirement right from the financial side for obvious reasons. It's very important. Mm -hmm. No one wants to be retiring and then one day realizes they don't have enough money to make it all the way to the end. Yeah. But the other side is that piece that you're talking about is what are you retiring into? And you could have a great financial strategy, but if there's not the personal, I want to call it a strategy, but this personal sense of what am I going to do for fulfillment or for joy or for purpose or for whatever it is, not to drift too far off what we're talking about here, but that's equally important. You're actually not very meaningful. It's not really a drift though, because, you know, I can't point to the specific studies off the top of my head but I've read through them and the idea that like, if you don't have a purpose, which most of us, our purpose is work and we get a lot of satisfaction out of it, even though we gripe about it. If you don't have the next things that matter to you in your life ahead of time, like if golf isn't your thing, it's only going to be fun for so long. Right. Like you got to have those purposeful things in your life and good social networks as well, which work was a big social network for a lot of us. And when you don't have those things, you actually see increases in health issues and shortening of lifespan and all these things. So it's, yeah. it's important to know what the next chapter looks like. What, yeah. what gets you lit up and out of bed in the morning? Yeah, completely. Because I think as William's asking this question, some of the things as we're saying, 
it looks reasonable. Now, of course, we can't give specific recommendations. We have no idea yeah. what that portfolio looks like. Like, is it an all cash 401k versus right. all stock 401k? Big, big difference. Big extremes. Yeah. Obviously, big yeah. difference there. But, you know, on the financial side, there's some things that you can almost automate and start counting down. Of, okay, make sure you're saving the right amount. Are you saving to the right funds? And is your investment strategy starting to adapt to this transition time? To your point, Scott, do you kind of have an idea? You have that tax planning window from when you retire until 72 and required distributions kick in. Do you know what you're going to be doing there? A lot of those things, it's almost kind of, some of them can be automated. Some of them is just a checklist of what to do at different times. Mm -hmm. The big focus here, I do think, is what is that? He mentioned retire comfortably. So what does comfortable retirement look like? What is that? Yeah. Yeah, What are the things that you're doing? Mm -hmm. I think financially, he has the pieces in place for this to be not an unreasonable thing to expect. Yeah. Now start thinking through what does that comfortable side look like and what do you want to be doing? Exactly. But yeah. Go answer the three questions. Then you'll know. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. Awesome. Anything else you'd add to this? No, I think that's a good overview. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up? I think the big one is, so he will have a pension and social security, which mm-hmm. is great. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is, I think a lot of people think, okay, I hit some number in my portfolio and that means I can retire. Well, someone with $1 million and a pension and social security and lives relatively within their means is a whole lot different than someone who has a million bucks and lives lavishly and no pension and maybe not a big social security benefit mm-hmm. and needs their portfolio to go a lot further. Totally. So I think this framework of what do you want retirement to look like? What will that cost? What other income will you have to offset some of those costs? And then kind of understanding what role does your portfolio play in this? How much of that income does your portfolio need to create? is a good way of looking at it. Yeah, and a similar lens to get there, but for you guys when you're just trying to think through the math, is like if you just pretend that we need 80 grand, if that's the real number, right? If we just go back there for a second and we say that you needed 80 grand for this example, if you know that you're going to get, you know, 40 through pensions and whatnot, a simple way to figure it out is, okay, so I need 80, I'm going to get 40 from pensions and social security. So I need 40 more. Well, if I take 40 and I multiply it times 25, that's a 4% withdrawal rate. Yeah. That's a million dollars. Yep. So I can quickly go from like the hard understanding of what do I need in whole and aggregate, and I can quickly get to a relative number of what I actually need. Yeah. And then if I want to make it even safer, I just make it a larger number to multiply by. Yep. So if you multiply by 30 instead, that's like, I think a 3.3% withdrawal rate or something like that. Sounds right. Yeah. 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 So I think there's some pretty straightforward ways to look at it too. And obviously big caveat is we're not factoring in things like taxes. We're not factoring in things like, okay, is there maybe a long-term care event based on family history or health? There's other things you want to do to dial this in. But I think to answer, does retiring comfortably in five years look reasonable? I think we'd probably say, yes, it looks reasonable given what we know. However, there's a lot of other things to consider. No, to to your point, like we're answering a high level question in a high level way. There's lots of detail there, right? That's why people work with financial advisors like us on an ongoing basis to help suss this stuff out and really craft a plan that's really tailored to their specific needs. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Anything else? No, I think that's it for now. Thanks again for the question. Thanks for the reviews. Have a great week. That's right. All right. See you all next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.
This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.